those who don't know me, my name's Tom. I'm the vicar here, or team rector, uh, team leader. It's, it's fantastic that, that you're here. Uh, welcome, everybody, if you're a guest. If you're watching online, hello. Um, if you've got COVID, uh, bless you. Um, I, I know that there's, I know folks who, who've got it. Uh, interesting, I was walking our new dog, Mabel. Uh, it was a, a yellow Labrador, and she, <laughs> she's a lot of fun. And... Um, I was walking her the other day and I heard two men walking along our road and they said, you know, it's a hoax. They said, you can't get COVID twice. And that's really funny because my sister-in-law got COVID almost a year to the day and has got in again. So I know it's going around. And so we are, pray- we are praying, praying for you and want to stand with you. And there's been a lot of talk about what's happened at, you know, at Christmas. So I want to just join in and say... Um, we, we've had a brilliant time. Like, do you know, I realised what a treat it was to spend time with family. And um, my mum and dad came for Christmas Day, and they've not done that for a long time. And we haven't seen them a huge amount during COVID, and so what a blessing that was. My dad got a smartphone. He's a real Luddite when it comes to technology, folks. And even the other day, I got a reply on WhatsApp with an emoji. I mean... 2022 started well, folks, I have to say. Very, and, um, and our youngest daughter is potty training. And so when we get a wee, we do a dance, and we go crazy. When you get a poo, it's like, boom, let's let the fireworks off now. You get a sweet for a wee and a poo, you, you just, she can name her price. So that's a lot of fun. But I mentioned we've got a Labrador puppy. There was a moment yesterday where our youngest had done a wee. She'd wiped herself, probably a bit too much detail, but... I'm painting the picture here, folks. Uh, put, it, put it in the uh, potty. Waiting for a grown-up. Grown-ups empty the potty. You don't want a three-year-old empty the potty. At that moment, our Labrador puts her head in the potty. <laughs> Obviously likes the smell. Grabs the tissue. And then uh, she does what she does. She likes to run around with a tissue stained in urine. So there you go, folks. All fun and games in our household. So there you go. Um, we, we, we're, we're tracking. We're back to the Nehemiah. When is it going to end? June, folks. Just encourage you. There's a long way to go. There's a few bits of it, like there's Lent and Easter and stuff like that, but we go go through the whole of Nehemiah, folks. We really are. And today's passage, today's chapter is is chapter 7, which much, pretty much two-thirds of it reads like a telephone directory. Now, I recognize there's people here who don't know what telephone directory is. So you need to Google it, okay? And when I did it, I probably thought, I'll give this to Alan Ward. But I forgot, and now I put myself down. So there you go. That, that will teach me, Alan, to give you the, give you the hard, hard ones. Um, I want to start with a story, and then we'll dive in. So, so I, um, I use Strava. And if you are a runner, you may have heard of Strava. And essentially, it means that every time for a go for a run, it tells you how fast you're going. It tells you where you're going. It tells you your elevation, how many calories. And it's addictive, folks. Because I often find myself, even yesterday I pointed out to Clarissa, a guy that I know in Cambridge, he was quite quick. But I said, yeah, but look at the elevation. He's only done 10 metres. That's easy. And there's a guy in our church called Dan Orwood. And I think he's up in the balcony closer to Jesus. And he did a run. And he's very quick, folks. So I think he's a very clever guy. So I think he's done something to his watch. (laughs) Or he's just genuinely very quick. But he did a particular run. And I thought, I want to do that run. Because I'm learning there's a competitive side to me coming out with, with Strava. And so I looked, and, and what I do is my practice is to st- 
look at their route because I try and memorize it because I don't want to stop and look where I'm going. So I, I'm looking at the points that I need to come off various roads and, and follow the route and stuff like that. So I'm heading down a road called Manchester Road. And if you're watching and you don't really know Sheffield, it's a road that takes you to Manchester. Hence Manchester Road. And I know that I need to come off at a particular turning to follow a track up through a place called Wyoming Brook, which is an area of outstanding natural beauty, I think we'll all agree. The problem was, I missed the turning. And then I'm thinking, I think I'm going too far. Anyway, so I'm having this mental, oh, I'll go back, and I see a track with a gate closed and chained up. But I thought, he must have done this, because I'm sure I'm right. So, folks, I did climb the fence, <laughs> but there was a path. And I thought, there's a path. So this must be right. I'm, he, this is what he must have done. So I'm running, I'm following the path. And it's not a, it's not a particularly easy path, folks. There's lots of things. So I think he, this must be the route that he's done. And I'm following it around, avoiding tripping over tree stumps, around the side of a reservoir. And I'm running and running, following the path. And then suddenly, the path disappears completely. There's just no path. And I'm running around in circles. You can see it on Strava, thinking, where's the path? He followed a path. I've lost the path. Where's the path? So I run up and down a stream, trying to find a place that I can cross. So I found a place that I could cross. And then I get to the other side of the stream, and it's a really steep bank. And it's like standing in a sponge. I feel my trainers are filling with mud. And I'm looking up at this bank thinking, but he must have come this way. So I find my phone and I find Google Maps and I can see where I need to get, but I just can't see a way through. And so I, I'm running this way, I'm running that way. I, I find a, a kind of a hut or a cabin. I think somebody lives wild in the woods. And I thought, I don't want to, am I trespassing? I jumped the gate. These people have guns. They do in America, so I know we're in Sheffield. But So I ran off and, and, and I scaled a really, really, really steep bank. I literally thought, I know where I need to go, but I just don't know how to get there. And then I see a fence, one of those kind of, um, it's a, one of those metal fences, which is, I thought I can get my legs, and, I, and I can see a stump holding the fence together. If I stand near the stump, it'll take my weight. So I'm climbing up the stump. I can hear a cracking sound, and then I can feel myself going backwards and backwards, and I land on my backside. I managed to jam my hand in the wire in the process. And I was just thinking, I, I, may, I am a super spiritual, I'm prone to being super spiritual and intense, but I'm just thinking, why is this happening, Lord? Why have I gone totally wrong? Literally, the path ran out. And I just was thinking, it just feels like that, for me, in a position of leadership in COVID, it just feels like that right now. Like 2022, I genuinely was hoping that we'd be coming would be seeing the back of this wretched virus. But it feels like it's, like it's like a Netflix series, like it's like season 23. And it feels like there's a funding for more. And it feels uncertain, doesn't it? It's like, it's like, do you book a holiday, do you not book a holiday? Or do you get to see family, do you not get to see family? Will there be a lockdown, won't there be a lockdown? Cases going up all the time. Yeah, but what about hospital, what about deaths? And then it feels the left and the right are arguing pro-vax, anti-vax, fear, non-fear. And it just feels more like, where do we go right now? Do we trust the government? Do we not trust the government? 
Is it going to be a party? No, I won't go there. The things that we've, the things that have been bring solidity to us and have defined us, and we've been the path we've been able to follow, like making a plan. It just feels like right now it's hard to do that, and it just feels there's a fatigue because it's been like that for a long time. And it felt like in that moment you're scaling the bank, knowing where you need to go, but you just don't know where to go and how to get there. And it feels like that's the moment we're in. Like, honestly, it feels like, in, even in this moment right now, I can't see what it's like at home, because I can't see you at home, but it just felt like, <sighs> even before Christmas, we went out every Wednesday to bless the community, and the Wednesday before Christmas, it was, it was actually just a few of us, because lots of folks couldn't make it. And there was such a heaviness on the streets. The few days before Christmas, it's usually the opposite, and the conversation was, when is this going to end and the question then was will we have Christmas and so folks we don't know as a church we, we don't know There's, there isn't you'll notice that there isn't hospitality today I'm sorry about that we genuinely value it we're trying to just be bringing measures and protocols to be safe in this season we don't know if there's going to be a lockdown I, we just don't know we just don't know so the question is at the start of 2022 what do we do And what can the most ginormous 73 verses from the middle of a book in the Old Testament say to us today, where two-thirds of it read like a telephone directory, which I'm not going to read, folks, just to encourage you. You can read it tonight. Let's read it together. Nehemiah chapter 7. Now, I should say, if if you're here for the first time, uh, we're looking at a series called Exiles and Ambassadors. Exiles is a period in the Old Testament where God's people are taken from the place of security and identity, namely Jerusalem and that surrounding area, are taken to a place called Babylon far, far away. And they are taken from their religious identity, their cultural identity, and they're placed somewhere which is totally alien to them, taken against their will. And in Jeremiah 29, what we're told is God tells them to seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which they've been carried. It's the most radical crazy call why would you pray for the people that have taken you why would you pray for the people who don't share your values why would you bring blessing to a city that disgusts you but that's what God calls them to do and actually there's a theologian by the name of Augustine or Hippo and he wrote something a book called or the city of God and he said and really tracking with that passage was like the the king in any city there is the city in which we live and then there is the kingdom of God. And we are, we are citizens of another place. And whilst we're living in the city, our call is to labour, to bring blessing and life to the city in which we find ourselves. To work for it, to, to bring blessing, to bring beauty, to bring order and life, to serve it. Do that because the source of that is because we're city, citizens of another place. So that's what our hope is that we want to do in the city of Sheffield at such a time as this, where the temptation is to binge news, which is generally not that encouraging. I mean, it's, uh, you know, it doesn't get better, does it? Is Putin going to invade Ukraine? Who knows? Is Netflix? <laughs> is COVID on the rise? But, but for such a time as this, in, in the providence of God, 
maybe God wants to say something to us at the start of this year. And so let's dive in. And I have to say, when I read this, I felt two things when I read this passage. One was I should have given it to Alan Ward. And I felt another thing. I felt like this needed to be my Josiah Bartlett moment from West Wing to rally the church, to rally the troops, to bring something wise. And at first, if I'm brutally honest, I read the passage and thought, I don't really know what this means, let alone how this is going to encourage anybody in 2022. But as I reflected on it and studied it, there are some surprising things that leapt out at me, which I hope will be a blessing to you. So let's dive in. Nehemiah chapter 7. And probably the other thing I should say is Nehemiah chapter 7 is a weird chapter, but it's the precursor to a renewal and a revival in Jerusalem. After the wall had been rebuilt, Nehemiah tells us this, this is like his memoir. After the wall had been rebuilt and I'd set the doors in place, the gatekeepers, the musicians and the Levites were appointed. I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanini, along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and feared God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem are not to be opened until the sun is hot. While the gatekeepers are still on duty, have them shut the doors and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near their own houses. Now the city was large and spacious, but there were few people in it and the houses had not yet been rebuilt. So my God put it into my heart to assemble the nobles, the officials, and the common people for registration by families. I found the genealogical record of those who'd been first to return. And this is what I found written there. And essentially, he takes Ezra's work. The the book before Nehemiah is called Ezra, and you generally read these books together. And this is from Ezra chapter 2, and it is a list of names of people. And it goes from uh, verses 5, verse 6 onwards, to verse 73. And I thought I'd give us, uh, I thought I'd spare us all the details, folks, of that one. But we'll talk about why it is really significant. Here's the thing, folks. Here's the context. Nehemiah is not facing, as far as we know, a global pandemic. But he is facing incredible uncertainty. And in my experience, when you, when you face uncertainty, that leaves you feeling incredibly vulnerable. Whether it's the uncertainty around your children, whether it's the uncertainty around health, whether it's the uncertainty of your job, uncertainty creates a sense of vulnerability and the uncertainty in Nehemiah's case is the fact that he has encountered pretty much opposition at a very very significant way in his own life since stepping foot in Jerusalem remember back in Nehemiah chapter 1 he's working for Artaxerxes who is the kind of king of the whole Persian empire and he has a call from God to return to Jerusalem And Jerusalem is lying in ruins, we're told. The gates are burned. There is no walls. 
And the significance of rebuilding walls, Nehemiah knows, is not so that they look pretty. Like when we go to York, if you've been to York, you oh, look at these lovely walls. How kind of them to build such lovely things so we can appreciate them however many years later. The significance of walls is to provide security. If you have a city without walls, it's like having a city without police. It's like a war zone. And so Nehemiah's call is to rebuild the walls to establish the, which is to response to the prophetic call to establish is Jerusalem as the epicenter of Jewish life so that they can step back into the calling to be a blessing to the nation, to be a theocracy, which means to be a, somewhere, some people who are led totally by God, to, to, to be radically different to other, other nations around, to embrace refugees, to treat women with dignity when other nations didn't, it, just to be different. It's part of the restoration call. And yet, so when Nehemiah has stepped back into Jerusalem, he has faced nothing but opposition. Remember from Sambalat, same that we kind of joked about him having the same name as an Ikea desk, and other people as well who have conspired in every way to try and stop him, to discourage him, to oppose him, to physically threaten him. He has encountered nothing but opposition after opposition after opposition. So by the time we get to chapter 7, there's something really fascinating here. Verse 1 says this, After the wall had been rebuilt, I had set the doors in place. Now here's the thing, the, the wall had been finished. Now you would have thought at that moment, put this into context, it's taken nearly 70 odd years, the restoration process of Jerusalem, a long time, and it hasn't gone particularly well. But under Nehemiah, under God's amazing hand, it's taken 52 days. That is absolutely remarkable. Now if I was Nehemiah, in the same way that our daughter gets a wee, in the potty, we are celebrating and partying, folks. Literally, Clarissa gets on the WhatsApp to tell people, the family group, we've got a wee in the potty. Boom. When it's a poo, she's letting off fireworks. I mean, it's a big moment. This is a massive moment in the life of the people of God. It is time to get on WhatsApp. Hey, we did it, we did it, we did it. But he sets gates. Because so far, his journey has been defined by opposition. The setting of the gates, the establishing of the gates on the doors around the city is a reaction to and a really strategic response to the presence of uncertainty. And I think that Nehemiah, if you've watched The Money Heist on Netflix, I love it, raise a hand. Has anybody watched it? Is it just literally, okay, me and Clarissa, nobody else, you've got to watch it because there's an amazing character in it called The Professor. And he's an absolute strategic planning genius. And so Nehemiah knows that the thing that can threaten the call of God on Jerusalem is, the op is opposition, which creates a deep sense of uncertainty. So one of the things that Nehemiah does is to put preparations in to bring some safety and security to the people of God. He puts gates on the doors. In this season, as we head into this time of uncertainty, I want to suggest to us that, 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 that we are in the, we are, let me get my words out, we're facing uncertainty. We all know that. I don't need to labor that point. Maybe I am. So the question is, what does it look like to establish doors and gates in our hearts? If it says in Psalm 119, your word is a lamp unto my feet, there is a question for all of us then. What um, patterns and frameworks am I going to establish in this season? 
to provide a defense against attack, against opposition, discouragements, the constant 24-7 narrative that bombards our lives. What are the habits and the practices? Now, when, when we talk like this, honestly, it's really amazing because even with these bright lights that we have these days because of the camera, you can see people physically sink. Oh, no. He's telling us to do more stuff. Don't you realize how busy I am? Don't you realize it's a full-time job just to literally keep up with the emails and stuff from school? Yeah, I do, actually. Like when we hear this, oh, no, more stuff I've got to do. But, you know, if we look back to the patterns of old, we see that that God's people have, have inhabited, in fact, the Jewish people too, inhabited daily rhythms whereby they would stop and remember whether it be the weekly Sabbath, whether it be this, the, the annual festivals, where they would stop and say, we remember, we are creatures and he's the creator. And I think in a season of life where we are bombarded 24-7, I heard a psychologist on a podcast this week, I've forgotten her name, but said it, it is, they argue that, that 24-7 news cycles are making us more anxious that we know that we are bombarded with information. Now, I'm not anti-social media at all. I just think it feels to me that my generation of leaders who are stepping into leadership now are saying, guys, we have to give thanks for these things. We give thanks in all circumstances, but we need to recognize that we need to limit the influence they have in our lives. So in the same way that I can become addicted to uh, news, or I can become addicted to social media, which my wife will sat there think, yeah, you are, because I get feedback a lot. And as my daughter is on the cusp of turning 11 soon and wants a phone, she's only one of two people in her whole class that don't have a phone, I want to model to her healthy rhythms around using this technology, because I think it's great, but I think it can take over our life. And it seems to me that is, the, that is the, 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 the heart cry of a lot of leaders now, which is like, this is great, but let's be aware of its dangers. And in the old days, we were, when, I was, when I, was raised, I was raised in the church, I was encouraged to have a morning quiet time. Remember the quiet time movement? Praise God, that you'd wake up and you read the Bible. That is awesome. And I would totally encourage anybody to start the day with the Lord. If, if, in the, if, if in the New Testament, one of the patterns is like the first fruits offering, I feel we should give to the Lord the first fruits of the day. Like I feel that we, we are invited by his spirit to maybe set the alarm 15 minutes earlier and just sit and be with Jesus. Maybe leave these things down. Maybe buy an alarm clock. You can get, Google them. Leave this downstairs and start the day with the Lord. Start these habits and practices so that we are journeying in this season of uncertainty, listening to the one who holds all things. That we're feasting in the, the word which is the lamp unto our feet. Well, if it's a dark season and we don't know where we're going, we're going to need a lamp to shine the way. And there is a lamp, and it's called the Bible, and Jesus got a book out, and it's a bestseller. And we could read it from time to time. Okay, it feels like I'm laboring it. I'm, I'm not meant to be beating anybody. I'm not saying you've got to. I'm saying we get to. And in the days of old, the ancients would spend a number, would stop, would pause work for a moment and say, okay, God, you're here. And in a time where we're having to go back to work from home or you're on Zoom or you've got a really seriously intense job, there is, a, there is wisdom in just putting stuff down for a nanosecond saying, Jesus, you are here and I am yours. 
I road tested this with a a family member who is an A&E consultant. So it's okay for me, because you're like, yeah, yeah, you get to do this because you're a vicar, you get paid to pray. It's true. So I thought I'd road test it with a guy who doesn't have a lot of time at work twiddling his thumbs. And if he does, somebody's having a heart. It's not, and, and he said there is that moment where he has pr- practice and disciplines where somebody's coming in. It is a serious situation. There's his team is assembled. They're waiting for somebody who's critically ill. And he stops, he looks up and says, God, you are with me. If we are going to navigate this season of uncertainty with the most phenomenal voices and noises, I get a, a notification every day that tells me how many more COVID, their COVID cases there were from the day before. And like as Alan said, we give thanks in all circumstances, right? But if I'm honest, for my heart, it's a bit like, oh. So how are we going to track with what God is saying to us in this season? The question to start this new year is, where are my habits and my patterns? Where are my practices? I would wholeheartedly commend to you Bible in One Year by Nikki Gumbel. It's amazing. Chris and I have done it last year. Didn't finish it on New Year's Eve, I'm not going to lie. It's a little bit behind. But there's three things you can do. There's a youth version. There is, is Express. You can do it in 13 minutes, folks. 13 minutes. Or there's the kind of classic, you can do it in 25. Or there's Lectio 365 which is 24-7, which is absolutely beautiful. Simple things to help us track with what it is the Lord is saying. These voices will counter the negative narratives that we are absorbing by default all the time. I, I remember years and years and years ago when our daughter first started having swimming lessons when we lived in Cambridge, and it was just such a joy to take her to swimming lessons. I'm less joyful now, folks. I'm not going to lie, taking swimming lessons. The novelty wears off is what I find. But I remember that first lesson, I was astounded to see how many parents were on laptops and on their phones. Because I thought you could just watch a child swim. And do you know, a couple of weeks ago, my son is swimming. And do you know what I took with me? I took my laptop. Because I'm busy. I've got to catch up on emails. I've got work to do. I got to do stuff. And I just felt the Holy Spirit almost nudging me, saying, Really? Is this really how you're going to live? You can be as stressed out as everybody else. How calling you to do this? So I, like you folks, um, found myself craw- I found myself crawling over the finish line. For me, that's Christmas Day, about lunchtime. I'm cr- and, and so this past week has been a retreat week where I've been talking to some wise and respected people and they're like, you've got to sort some stuff out in your life. So don't think I'm c- coming here to talk to you and say, well, this was an issue back for me in 1973. But since then, I've put this in. No, it's an absolute issue now. I have the same challenges as you, but I know that if we're going to walk through 2022, I know that I need to establish and root down habits and practices and look back to the ancient ways. What are those gates that when the opposition and uncertainty comes are going to keep out the challenges which we all face? Then Nehemiah Nehemiah goes on to say here, he says, I put in charge of Jerusalem my brother Hanini along with Hananiah, the commander of the citadel, because he was a man of integrity and fear God more than most people do. I said to them, the gates of Jerusalem not to be opened until the sun is hot, while the gatekeepers are still on duty. Have them shut the door and bar them. Also appoint residents of Jerusalem as guards, some at their posts and some near 
their own houses. So here's the thing. If, if part of the gates and the doors is about our patterns and rhythms, then there's got to be a question around the people. Here are two people, both Hanini is Nehemiah's brother, somebody that he loves and respects him, and so is Hananiah. They are people who he respects and people that he trusts. And if, and if, and if the kind of gates, if our gates are our practices to protect our heart in this season, we're told in Proverbs that for guard your heart for it's the wellspring of life, then who are the people that we trust who can speak truth into our lives. Because in a season of uncertainty where we're not quite sure where it is we're going, we need, we need voices of truth who are going to speak wisdom and speak life and encouragement and challenge. Paul says in Colossians, the word admonish, to say the things that sometimes we really don't want to hear. We need some of these voices into our lives as well as practices to help us navigate the uncertain times that we are in. And it's interesting that in Hananiah, what we see Nehemiah says is that he's somebody who has integrity. So they need to be people of integrity. And I saw this quote around integrity. I thought it was absolutely lovely. It says, people who say to your face what they... It says this. It's a definition of flattery. Flattery is to say to your face what they wouldn't dream of saying behind your back. So you know, somebody's like, oh, you're absolutely awesome. Oh, Leah, you're so awesome. But behind your back, oh, she's a nightmare to work with. It's like the people of integrity. So what, so what they say to your face is what they say behind you. They are just people who live their lives in the sense of the integral whole. People who will speak truth. You see, for, for Nehemiah, he puts these guys in charge of defending the gates and the doors. And so Nehemiah instructs them to only open the gates at certain points because Nehemiah doesn't want to let the opposition in. And the only people that he does that is people who've battled with him and journeyed with him, people who've spoken into his life, people who are truthful. And I would suggest if we are going to navigate this season well, we need folks in our lives who can speak truth. For me, that means I speak to a guy every Friday morning he lives in Edinburgh. We've done, we call it accountability. We've done it for a long time. I think it's about eight years now. I know him fairly well. The thing about accountability is, is um, and we often talk about accountability when something's gone off, something negative. Oh, you need to get accountable. Oh, need to check your internet history. You need to get accountable. But actually, I want to say it, could be, it doesn't have to start out, but it could be something really positive. If God has wired you in a certain way, then we need people who are around you who can cheer you on, speak love and life. I actually wouldn't be doing this job with, really without a number of really important people in my life who said, I think this is your calling. I think, now, you wanna, you, I'll give you the addresses. You want to you hunt them down and challenge them? Please do. Be my guest. But, but it's a sense of this is what you're called to do. This is what I think you should do. There are people like a safeguard around us that speak truth into our lives. They're, one I've reflected on, they're people that you respect the way they live their lives. They're, because if you respect them, you'll learn from them. And if you're open to learning from them, you'll make yourself vulnerable to say, look... Uh, this is how you live your life. This is what's happening for me right now. If it's don't have that dynamic in place, it can become a support group or just generally a chat. And we call it accountability. We need truth tellers in a time where the path seems uncertain who can help us navigate this time as we establish principles and patterns, relationships with trustworthy people.
And then we get to the rest of um, um, Nehemiah chapter 7, which is this long list of descendants. Okay, and there's something really very, very quick I just want to say about that. Nehemiah, if, he's, if you do watch the money heist on Netflix and you encounter the character, the professor, who's a real genius, what Nehemiah is doing is in the context of preparing for opposition coming against him and the people, he's establishing a legal precedent to people who currently live outside of the Jerusalem walls to inhabit inside of Jerusalem. And he knows that once he can get people back into the middle of Jerusalem, God can begin to prepare hearts. And we see in chapters 8 and 9 the outpouring of his presence. And we see the precursors of revival. And so Nehemiah, being the strategic genius that he is, draws people back into the middle of Jerusalem, building houses so people can live in, giving them arms so that they can defend it, but bringing them back home. He's establishing identity. So an establishing identity can establish the original call of the people of God to be a blessing to the nations. When revival comes, there is a conviction of sin, which depresses everybody, isn't it? Sin, woo. But in it is an assurance, a deep assurance of faith that you're loved, that you're forgiven, that God is for you, God has a plan for you. There's an awakening of God's presence in our hearts and our lives. And Nehemiah tracks through, through, seven, through chapter 7, bring, shoring up the defences, bringing the people back in anticipation that God will move. We don't know how 22 is going to roll. But what I would want to say to us is this, is if we practice and clarify what our practices are, maybe you've got great practices already, how are you going to develop them or how can you encourage other people? What is it maybe the Lord's saying to you in that stuff? To grow every day. Not got to do it, but we get to do it. Not got to read your Bible but we get to journey with God in any and every situation. Isn't that just absolutely beautiful? Countering some of the negativity, the joy and life. You know, I think Jesus sometimes is in heaven, but he has a smile on his face. And then we've got some people around us who can say, do you know what, come alongside and say, do you know why, why, why are you doing that? Can I help you? You say, oh yeah, can I, I'm just struggling with this. Will you pray for me? And just say, and somebody says, comes alongside, he says, I think you should be doing something else. I think you've got a calling to do this. Can I, I want to champion you in that. Speaking truth, letting people speak truth into our lives. And then as Nehemiah establishes God's people in God's place, establishing authority and identity, we begin to walk this season knowing that we don't know what it is but we know who he is a little more. And as a church, we begin to become a place where we're walking in that identity that, that we don't know what the future is, but we know him. And we know that he's with us. And we know that if he's with us and he's for us, then he has something for us to do. And so we can become in a, in, in a, in a city that maybe feels anxious and people are too afraid to leave their homes 
Aren't maybe elderly neighbours haven't seen their family for a couple of weeks since Christmas. We go knocking on the door and we take something and we bring blessing and we bring life and we bring encouragement because we are connected to the source of life and we're practising every day connecting with the source of life, Jesus. And we have friends speaking truth into our lives to keep us running the race with perseverance for him. And as we do that, we establish and settle into our identity because when the revival fires come, the precursors and the challenging seasons come, and when God pours out his spirits, he reminds us who we are. And as he reminds us who we are, he reminds us we are his people and, we have, and he has something for us to do. And I think that's something for us to do is to be people of hope in a hopeless time. At the start of 2022, I had often seen people quote um, a, like a poem and I didn't really know much about it, but let me read it to you. I saw it all over Facebook, and I get a lot of my, my theology from Facebook, so here you go, folks. That was a joke, by the way. And I said to the man who stood at the gate of the year, give me a light that I might tread safely into the unknown. And he replied, go out into the darkness and put your hand into the hand of God. That shall be to you better than light and safer than a known way. So I went forth and finding the hand of God trod gladly into the night. That became etched into our nation in December of 1939, a season of uncertainty, the Second World War. It's said that uncertainty was defining that moment, and King George VI, Britain's reigning monarch at the time, used his address on the BBC radio on Christmas Day, and it said, speaking to a fearful nation, he used, he wanted to speak calm and peace. And he reminded our nation in our history, folks, that there's only one true king, and that's Jesus Christ. And who was the only real king who could provide real peace to troubled hearts in challenging times. And as he gave this speech, he concluded it with that poem, which was given to him by him at the time by his 13-year-old daughter, now who is the queen. And it was called The Desert, and it um, changed its named to the gate of the year. We don't know what 2022 is going to look like, folks. We don't. But I do think maybe the Holy Spirit is saying to put our hands into the hand of God. I do think there's an encouragement to think about our practices so that every day we put our hands into the hand of God. Facing the uncertainty of the day tomorrow and then gathering around a group of people who will encourage us to put our hands to the hand of God again maybe the hands got tired and weary and maybe they'll even help us lift it up and put it back to the hand of God and as we do that 
like as Nehemiah establishes his people back to Jerusalem, we walk in the authority because we give space to the Holy Spirit to move in our hearts. And as we give space to the Holy Spirit to come, he reminds us of what he says in Romans chapter 8, verse 40. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you receive does not make you slaves, so you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you receive brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. Now, if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share any sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. Let's stand together.